Do you ever feel like you're in a never-ending cycle of snacks and meals? We get it. That's why we're excited to share Home Threads, the ultimate solution for creating a stylish and functional family space. At HomeThreads.com, discover furniture that can handle the chaos of family life. From wipeable dining chairs to kitchen tables and light fixtures. Or you can just freshen up your kitchen with trays, counter lamps, decor, and other affordable accents that will help you update your kitchen into a room you love spending time in. Head over to HomeThreads.com slash D-I-J-F-Y, short for Dinner and I Just Feed You, to get a code for 15% off your first order. Because if you're going to be feeding them three times a day, plus snacks, you deserve a home that feeds your style. HomeThreads, love where you live. That's HomeThreads.com backslash D-I-J-F-Y today to get 15% off your first order. When you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork, a revolutionary baby monitor, is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. This fall, more than ever, we're looking to pack our fridge with ingredients that give us maximum flexibility when feeding our families. And the number one ingredient on our shopping list always? Cheese! (laughs) Cabot Creamery has been a longtime favorite of ours for making award-winning cheeses available at conventional supermarkets and at regular supermarket prices. From shredded cheeses to make everything from homemade pizza to enchiladas to snack sticks and cracker cuts for packed lunches and -and grab-and-go snacking, Cabot always has a cheese that makes it easy. And the cherry on top, or should I say the melted cheese on top? Mm. (laughs) Cabot is a farm family-owned co-op that gives back 100% of their profits to the farmers that produce their fantastic cheeses and is a certified B Corporation dedicated to sustainability. Check out this week's show notes for our favorite Cabot cheeses and visit cabotcheese.coop. That's cabotcheese.coop to learn more about Cabot Creamery and find a retailer near you. things that we want. And if you deprive us long enough, we're probably going to kind of backtrack and whatever benefits we saw will be lost. So to me, what makes the Mediterranean diet so wonderful is that there isn't a deprivation. It really is just a way to live. Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You, a podcast about feeding kids. Hi, I'm Stacy, And I'm Megan. Hey, this week is really fun. One of my colleagues from Kitchen just wrote a beautiful cookbook called Mediterranean Every Day. So we're going to talk about the Mediterranean diet and this cookbook and how to cook and eat like Stacy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Stacy and Sheila. I was going to say it's Mediterranean diet, but not diet with a capital D. Like this isn't about... Like eat this much of this and this much of that and portion and here's how it works. This is not, this is just a gorgeous cookbook that draws inspiration from certain parts of Italy and Greece and Spain and even Southern France. And it's just so beautiful. It just so happens that the way people eat in many of those areas 
is naturally in balance, like super healthy, but not healthy the way that Americans tend to think of healthy. It's not healthy because they don't eat carbs. It's it's provably healthy. Some places in the Mediterranean have the longest lifespans in the world. It's called the blue zones, I think. My mother as a Greek is very proud of this. But at the same time, like they're eating dessert, they are drinking wine, (laughs) they are eating bread and pasta. So we talk about that too, which I think is super interesting and helpful. My biggest takeaway is that Mediterranean cooking is not dogmatic. Like there's room for everything in it. Totally. And, And that sort of relaxes you mentally in a way that helps you enjoy your food and not feel restricted. It's also very whole foods based. But, you know, when you say something like that in America, I do. I'm not trying to like dog in America, but it's just, you know, the way that even my family has started to eat and being in the food media industry for so many years, catering to an American audience, there's such a contrast between like how I have learned to think versus how I was raised to think about food. So for me, you mentioned something like a whole foods diet. And because Americans do have a tendency to like take it and run and food media, we play a huge part of that, right? It's like, it has to be a thing with all capitals. (laughs) and You have to go to the farmer's market. It has to be done this way. Whereas when my grandma was cooking with whole ingredients, even when she came to the States, it's not just about like this romantic idea of she lived in a village and it was easy for her to get fresh milk from the cow. Even when she was here in the U.S. working on a very tight budget, she was not a wealthy cook. She was using just like the whole ingredients that were at the supermarket. It's really kind of humble cooking, you know, whole Greek yogurts, whole milk, feta cheese from the Greek store whole grains, and vegetables, pretty much. One of the things I love about this interview is I feel like you and Sheila are just so aligned in like a, like where you come to food from and also like how you approach flavoring things and making them unfussy. And I think it's really fun. I don't want to give too much away, but like she also picks a chicken recipe as one of her favorite I recipes know. from her book. I was quietly, because we had so much to talk to her about. I was like, we don't need to take up minutes with me being like, yay. But yes. yes. Chicken. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I feel like I want to dive right into talking with Sheila because there is so much and there like are so many good little nuggets of information, great tips that are not even related to her book. But we really want to also encourage you to find Mediterranean every day and go ahead and snatch up a copy right away, right? Definitely. It's gorgeous. Sheila Prakash is one of my colleagues at Kitchen. She's a food and wine writer and recipe developer, as well as a registered dietitian. She's also written for Epicurious and Food 52. She received her master's degree from the University of Gastronomic Sciences in Italy and holds level two and level three awards in wines from the Wine and Spirit Education Trust. So she knows her drinks, which you know we love. Also, I want to go to the University of Gastronomic Science. (laughs) What's that? Okay. I know. I also assume to get wine education, you'd get to drink a lot of wine. Yeah. Okay. So basically, we want her life. So without further ado... Here's Sheila. Sheila, Mediterranean Every Day is your first cookbook, and it is a knockout. Like, it is such a beautiful book. 
every recipe I've flagged that I want to make. (laughs) And I love the section of cocktails and like easy appetizers. For people who don't know, you also have a background as a registered dietitian. So can you talk to us a little bit about the very popular Mediterranean diet, which you also address in the book and how Mediterranean every day is not a diet book? Totally. The Mediterranean diet really isn't a diet at all. It's a set of guidelines. That's kind of like a way to live. It's all very European sounding. (laughs) Um, So basically, rather than having strict rules, it's kind of an everything in moderation approach to eating. So absolutely nothing is off the table. You mentioned like there's a chapter in my book for snacks and cocktails. That's because they are encouraged. And so are desserts. And instead, it's kind of to focus on like extra, extra wholesome things and fill your plate with those, but definitely still enjoy your glass of wine and, you know, your slice of cake. Being a registered dietitian, I'm, you know, have been educated in so many different diets. And to me, it was the only diet that made sense, probably because I also love to eat. (laughs) So (laughs) I just love that there isn't really, you can enjoy everything and it ends up being still super wholesome because the things that you're filling your plate with are things that are super nutritious, just naturally. So things like fruits and vegetables, fatty fish. So fish like salmon, um, which has a lot of omega-3 fatty acids, which are a type of healthy fat that's really good for your heart and for other kind of just general bodily functions. Um, And then other things like whole grains, um, olive oil, which I think most people kind of know as being super Mediterranean, um, beans and lentils, things like that. Um, So yeah, so that's kind of what the Mediterranean diet is. It's kind of focusing on those ingredients, but still not hesitating to enjoy everything else in moderation. And so given that, that's why to me, this is not a diet book at all, because the goal of this book was it to make it really just kind of an approachable way to feel really good. And, you know, I tried not to use the word diet throughout it. (laughs) I love that the Mediterranean diet includes like full fat dairy. There's no like low fat cheese in it. There's full fat Greek yogurt, which I know Stacey loves. It's and there is no limit to what you can eat on it. Absolutely. I think, I mean, the goal for, you know, if you go to anywhere in the Mediterranean, if you go to Italy, you go to Spain or Greece, like they're eating everything. They're eating real food. So yeah, they're not eating the low fat dairy that's been like, there's been weird, not real sugar thrown in and fruit flavors. They're eating full fat and enjoying it. And they end up feeling better and actually being healthier for it. So Sheila, I was going to ask, as a dietitian, I know this isn't your, you didn't come from that place as you were writing the book. You were more coming from, it sounds like, the place of being someone who's a recipe developer, who loves to eat. But what is it about the Mediterranean diet then that is so good for us? Is it just a matter of whole foods in smaller portions? Is it something you can boil it down to? I would say the piece that makes it so good for us is that we're not, you're not depriving yourself. I mean, if you look at all these other diets and what you have to do to kind of quote unquote, feel your best, you're always cutting something out. And I mean, we're, we're 
humans. Like we can't, <laughs> there are things that we want. And if you deprive us long enough, we're <laughs> probably going to kind of backtrack and whatever benefits we saw will be lost. So to me, the, what makes the Mediterranean diet so wonderful is that there isn't a deprivation. It really is just a way to live. Um, and yes, that you are eating everything in moderation and, you know, yes, smaller portions, but, you know, when you are eating a full fat product, you know, if you are, say you're having, you know, a big scoop of ice cream, you're going to enjoy the actual ice cream because it's the real deal. It's about like satiation. It's that eating something that's actually satisfying and also the mentality. I think there's so, so much of our mind is actually tied to our diet. And when we deprive ourselves, it just makes us want the thing that we are craving even more. Absolutely. And then if you're naturally eating really good things and, you know, scattering the chocolate and the wine throughout it, I mean, you're, it's all balanced, right? Like you are eating, you're filling your plate with good things, but you're also not depriving yourself. And so the things that are quote unquote, maybe like not as healthy, aren't being, you know, binged on or they're balanced by the other healthy. That's what exactly what I was going to get at. Cause growing up Greek, I know not every Mediterranean culture serves their food in small plates and not every Greek meal is served metze style, but this idea that at every meal, everything will be on the table. <laughs> and you just kind of eat until you're satisfied and you're combining fats with grains. You're, you know, picking on this and picking on that as opposed to being like, okay, I've had this controlled dinner. Now I have like this huge dessert or like, here's this big, a cheese course is a beautiful thing. Don't get me wrong. But there's something about everything being accessible at every meal that I think both psychologically, but also probably in the net net, on your plate, you're getting a really great balance of whole ingredients that get to combine in a way that also helps your body process all that stuff too. Absolutely. And I mean, if you go to these countries, you see just, they live to eat and they don't eat to live. They truly enjoy their food. They sit down, they sit down with friends, they sit down with family, they open their bottle of wine, the dinner takes hours versus shuffling it down your plate. So it's that part of it too. Absolutely. Also cooking is more joyful in those cultures too, for the same reason. And then also, you know, there's some practical aspects of it as well. Like if you're making a pot of beans and then you also have meatballs cooking and you're cutting up some cheese to put it all out on the table, there's also typically a lot of leftovers. So cooking becomes, I remember in my house when my grandmother was around, she would have these big cook days, but also it was these days when I was running around her house and there was time and everyone was pitching in. And then for the other days of the week, there was lots of leftovers that we could kind of pick on too. (laughs) And the whole thing feels less pressured and more joyful. Which is like a big tenet that we talk about when it comes to family meals is like, it's really not always about what's at the table, but it's like the energy that's at the table and the conversation that you're bringing. And it feels like Mediterranean cooking and the Mediterranean diet sort of like bring that, force you to do that. Like, 
you're at the table to eat and graze and it's not like an obsession with what's on there and like making sure you get this certain serving of vegetables into your kids. It's all there for them to choose. And actually there's like some research that backs up how like serving meals family style for kids gives them more autonomy and therefore they're more likely to try new foods and actually like accidentally eat more vegetables than they would if there was like this forced serving on their plate. That makes a lot of sense. I have a question. I don't want to get too far down this path, but I'm like thinking about how someone listening might actually translate this into how they cook at home. Because I do think that there's something, even the way we're talking about it, I'm talking about my grandmother and you're like, yes, open that bottle of wine and we're sitting around. (laughs) It's very romantic and it doesn't feel feasible to a lot of American families for a whole host of reasons, but a big one being the kind of scheduling stress and pressure that so many parents feel and just like exhaustion. So can we kind of hive mind for a minute some like very practical tips before we get into the actual Mediterranean ingredients and the recipes in your book that are so mouthwatering, the kind of approach to cooking? What are some ways we can help people fold those into their routine? Definitely. To me, like one of the things that I find super, you know, approachable for weeknights and kind of that feels Mediterranean and also family friendly is looking at pasta, um, just because it is already a super approachable. Yes, yes. yes. Approachable ingredient. We all lean on it. And I think it gets a bad rap. And I'm hoping that this book sets the record straight. Yes. (laughs) Um, Because I do feel like it is like the, it's the ultimate Mediterranean meal. I mean, specifically in Italy, but even in other parts of the Mediterranean, are they eating it? And to me, like the easiest way to feel like you're eating this effortless kind of feel good dinner is to bring pasta to the table. Um, And I like to, to me, the Mediterranean approach is obviously it's portion size first, but to flip the proportions. So I talk about this in my book where um, instead of you thinking of you're eating a pasta dish that has like some vegetables scattered about, you're eating a vegetable dish with pasta involved in it. So all of the all of the recipes in my book are vegetable first, pasta second um, in the pasta chapter. And I even call the chapter colorful pastas because that's exactly what they are. And to me, for feeding a family, like that's where I would start. (laughs) I think that's so genius. And what's great is that it's like what I was saying about my grandmother making a big pot of beans and the meatballs and the this and the that, and then she has leftovers. If you're used to cooking a pound of pasta, you throw that all into the pot the way you are already doing, but then you save half and half of another meal later in the week is already prepped for you, right? And it's just about prepping these gorgeous vegetables, which often require a lighter touch and not too much effort. And it, and it absolutely stretches that pound of pasta versus a pound of pasta feeding, you know, four, a pound of pasta can feed eight easily if you're filling it with really good things. And those good things, of course, there's the romantic, you know, I went to the farmer's market today and I bought these beautiful vegetables and I'm filling my pasta with that. But I mean, real life will 
frozen vegetables will work too. That bag of frozen broccoli. And, Reach it, you know, Sheila. We love frozen that. Frozen spinach. Yes, that's just like. Yes, that might not feel as romantic, but it it does the job. (laughs) Yes. And I also noticed a lot of your salads, which look so beautiful. Also, we're incorporating not just leafy greens, but other vegetables that can be prepped ahead. You know, I'm looking right now at the warm roasted delicata squash and kale salad, which I want to eat right, right now. But, you know, you can make a dressing in a big batch. You can roast the squash in a big batch and then have these leftovers. So, you know, we did an episode called The Art of Intentional Leftovers, which is a strategy that Megan and I think applies to, it can apply to all kinds of cooking, but it really seems to work with the kind of really simple vegetable forward recipes that populate your gorgeous book. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, this salad in particular, I love this salad and it's one of those salads that absolutely gets better with age. So when I make it, I often double it up, like I double up the ingredients and then I end up eating, we have it for dinner and maybe we have it. I personally think it's satisfying enough to just have that, but you know, you could have it as a side with chicken or fish. And then I'm eating the leftover salad all week for lunch because it stays completely wilt free. And if anything, it just tastes better because the vegetables are marinated longer in the dressing. Um, Absolutely. And I think another thing to point out with a lot of my recipes, I really wanted them to be as flexible as possible. And this one is definitely that in particular, I talk about you know, I call for a certain type of cheese. I call for ricotta salata cheese, which is not a common cheese. It's a cheese I love because it's super salty and has this really nice crumbly texture, but it is, isn't always that easy to find. And so I make a point of calling out that don't worry if you can't find it, you know, swap in feta, swap in goat cheese, swap in whatever you like um, and to make this recipe work for you and your family. That's also great because it's a great aspect of your book that I'm glad you highlighted. It's also a very good way to bring that kind of romantic Mediterranean style down to earth for busy families, because the truth is, just like my grandmother, just like you, when you're developing these recipes, use what you have on hand. A lot of it works. These aren't like super specific flavor combinations that you can't kind of play with. You know, they're, they're ideas, they're suggestions. And if you're working with a general palette of pantry ingredients, it's all going to kind of work. Absolutely. These are not you know, hard and fast rules, recipes, they don't need to be. Let them, you know, work for you. Okay, Sheila, I have a very selfish question right now, because I think that one of your personal strengths is like finding these really gorgeous and useful products for home pantries. And Stacy sort of mentioned like, your pantry is a really, like, is really a great place to start for Mediterranean cooking. It doesn't have to be this like, farmer's market haul every week. So can you tell us like, three products that anyone really interested in cooking from your book or cooking more Mediterranean style should invest in. And Sheila, you cannot say olive oil. You have to pick three others. (laughs) (laughs) Olive oil is a given. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Well, I definitely feel that less is more when it comes to pantries. I don't have an abundant pantry. I think some people might think I do and I absolutely don't. Um, but yes, there are certain things that I find that I reach for 
more than others and definitely they they just lend themselves to the mediterranean style of cooking i when i think of pantry i'm not thinking just dry goods absolutely not um so i would say the first thing i would say would actually be a wedge of parmesan cheese i always have a wedge of parmesan cheese in my refrigerator um and i just feel like it's it's instant flavor and it's it's instant it's cheese i mean <laughs> Everyone should have cheese always within breeze. Yeah, you, you're, you're preaching to the choir on the show. We're like, what can we put cheese on? But I mean, I always have one to eat great. You know, I have a mic. I usually have a microplane or even just like a box grater. The fine edges on a box grater would work. So I, I always just have a wedge to finish off pastas. I mean, sometimes I'll shave pieces with a vegetable peeler um, to top on soups or salads. And I actually want to jump in there because I will say that I almost always use my vegetable vegetable peeler now when I mix Parmesan into salads because I have a child who does not like Parmesan which is completely oh. insane. Yeah. Oh, he's right. <laughs> like we, I actually have to like hold myself back from like judging him openly and outright. Cause it's so crazy, <laughs> but it is a good tip that if you have a picky eater, you know, there are some dishes that you're going to finish with the Parmesan, right. And that can mm-hmm. be separate, but if you're going to mix it in using your vegetable peeler makes these kind of like bigger, like little swaths of Parmesan, (laughs) like big flakes that he can pick out. So I find that very helpful. That's Um, a great idea. So very quickly, before we move on to your next pantry ingredient, do you have any practical tips for Parmesan shopping? Like, is it only imported? Is domestic okay? Like, will you just tell people what to do? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, obviously the imported stuff is going to be a little bit richer in flavor, but expensive. And I totally get that. So if you're able to go for the real deal, if you're not, the domestic stuff will will do you just fine. Also, if you can get yourself to like a Trader Joe's and I think probably Costco. I mean, Trader Joe's does have the imported stuff for like a fraction of the price. Great. Hot tip. Yeah. Hot tip. Hot tip. And also in, with Parmesan, the best part of having the wedge versus just buying the pre-grated is you're getting the beautiful rind when you've finished it. And there's a recipe actually in my book that you make an entire soup using those rinds. You actually make the broth from those rinds. They're like so packed with flavor. So you're it's kind of like a two for one bang for your buck. So we mentioned that in our freezer episode, Megan, I think that's the one, right? Yeah. We talk about I, that. Yeah. Pop it in your freezer. Yeah. I was saying that even at Whole Foods, you can buy the Parmesan, Parmesan rinds and they're usually like really cheap, but also still have like a fair amount of Parmesan left to grate off of them. So that's sometimes my like cheap trick is buying the Parmesan rinds at Whole Foods and then using what Parmesan I can get off of them (laughs) and then freezing the rinds to turn into broth and soups and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. And they last in the freezer for quite a while. And even if I'm just, I mean, it's even a way to jazz up. Like if you buy a box of store-bought tomato soup, just like chuck the rind in when you're warming it up and it suddenly tastes so much better. (laughs) That's such a great tip. Speaking of pantry ingredients, 
Let's hear from this week's sponsors and one of our new favorites, Bada Bean Bada Boom. Y'all, whether your kids are in homeschool, remote school, returning to a classroom, or a hybrid, there's something universal for all of us. Back to school means back to endless snacking. Oh my gosh, that is the truth. I mean, listen, we know that kids snack constantly all year round, but back to school season has a shifting from easy summer fruits and popsicles to packable snacks that work grab and go, whether the kids are grabbing and going from the kitchen to their workspace, from the kitchen to the backyard, or maybe they're going back to their school building. Also, despite this being the strangest back to school season ever, we love that back to school always gives us an opportunity for a reset including finding new snack options. I love new snacks. And our latest favorite find is Bada Bean Bada Boom, a super crunchy vegan gluten and soy-free snack made of roasted broad beans. It comes in 13 delicious flavors, including buffalo wing, everything bagel, nacho cheese, my personal favorite, sweet cinnamon, and Megan's favorite, Zesty Ranch. Honestly, my kids cannot believe that these tasty snacks are made of beans, and I can't believe that a snack this delicious has 7 grams of protein and 5 grams of fiber per serving. All with a crunch that rivals potato chips. Seriously, listen for yourselves. Bada Bean Bada Boom is perfect packed in a lunchbox for kids or stashed in your home office snack drawer or gym bag, or really anywhere else you might need to grab a delicious high-protein snack. Go to badabeansnacks.com backslash didn't I just feed you to get 25% off your order. That's B-A-D-A-B-E-A-N-S-N-A-C-K-S dot com slash didn't I just feed you for 25% off at checkout. Healthy snacking has never been simpler. Back to school season may be upon us, but this year looks different for most families. While we sort out what schooling will look like, one thing is clear. Kids will need as many fun, self-directed projects for home as possible. And parents need that too. Whether your kids will be home all day or getting home earlier than usual because of changes in after-school programming, we know that parents will continue to need lots of breaks built into their day so that we can show up with our full attention when our kids need us around. That's why we're so excited to keep the projects from our sponsor, KiwiCo, coming even as the school year begins. We get a break, the kids stay engaged. KiwiCo makes super cool hands-on art and science projects that kids can do from home. Each KiwiCo box is delivered monthly and comes with all the supplies needed for that month's projects. Detailed, kid-friendly projects and a cool magazine filled with content to learn more about the crates theme. And the best part is that KiwiCo crates are not just for really young kids. They offer thoughtful, engaging projects for everyone from toddlers to teens. Grownups may even want to get in on some of the fun. With KiwiCo's hands-on art and science projects, kids can engineer a walking robot, blast off a bottle rocket, explore colorful, kid-friendly chemistry, and more, all from the comfort of home. Everything you need to make art and science, and maybe even homeschooling, seriously fun, delivered to your doorstep. Get your first month free on select crates at kiwico.com backslash didn't I just feed you. That's K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash didn't I just feed you. Okay, two more pantry staples. We've got Parmesan Waxing and olive oil. About Parmesan yes, cheese. I know. There, we could make a whole episode about it. <laughs> um, so the other thing I was thinking about is risotto rice. Ooh. So I, it seems like most people think of it as a specialty ingredient and not something they would always have on hand. But I would like to argue that it's as versatile, if not 
more versatile than dry pasta, which I do love, but I think it's always worth keeping risotto rice on hand. And you can buy it at almost every grocery store now, I feel like. And so it's accessible. You don't have to go to a specialty store to get it. And risotto has just this reputation for being really fussy and time consuming. And it's really not. I mean, you can have a beautiful pot of risotto on your table in under 30 minutes. And it takes to really whatever you have on hand in the kitchen. So, I mean, you can toss in leftover roasted vegetables in there. If you have some leftover chicken from the night before, you could like shred it up and stir it in. If you had shrimp in the freezer, you could cook that while you're cooking the risotto and add that. So to me, it's just an absolute blank late. And it also feels super family friendly because you could, you know, keep one version plain for the kids and kind of jazz up some, some of it for the parents or whatever works for your family. There's just a lot of options there. So I do think it's worth having risotto rice. And I have, I hard agree. Also, (laughs) you have a recipe on the kitchen for a broccoli and like cheddar cheese risotto that we eat all the time, which is just like, that points exactly to how you flavor it in a way that your kids might be really into. And it does cook in less than 30 minutes. It's almost faster than making a box of mac and cheese. It almost is. And it's, it's once you get the technique down, I mean, it, it, it does involve some stirring and tending to, but once you've made it a couple of times, I mean, you can make it with your eyes closed. I mean, I don't even measure it anymore. And it really just has endless opportunity and really just takes to, you know, if you don't have chicken broth on hand, I mean, I made it with water it's going to be okay. It's still going to be delicious. Um, and so, yeah, there's just so much opportunity there. I have four recipes in the book, which I was really excited about because I made them kind of each seasonal to kind of show the versatility. But yes, it does have just lots of lots of ways you can take it. So I, I vouch for risotto rice. And then my last, ooh, my last one is also tricky. I feel like what I'm going to say is controversial. So I oh, we, we're, he, we're here for it. <laughs> but I'm going to say anchovies. Oh, okay. This is good segue. Is like, we're, uh, on a, we're, on a, we're on a family podcast. So I don't think that's a lot of people are going to be into it. But I'm you're, going you're to the say anchovies. second guest who's spoken to us at length about anchovies. Yeah. Okay. So it's so a thing. I'm say anchovies, but I have a backup in case people <laughs> are like already you know, out. Well, no. already lost interest. Talk to us about anchovies first. So anchovies to me are a secret weapon in the kitchen. And I know they're like, they're kind of scary looking. <laughs> they look like these little wormy little fish. I get it. And I was very worried about it them too, before I gave them a shot, but I'm not asking people to put the whole fillets like on their slice of pizza or eat them straight out of the jar. I'm just asking to bring them into your cooking because when you put a fillet or two into hot olive oil, they dissolve and you wouldn't even know they are there, but you're left with this olive oil that is so deeply flavored because anchovies have this incredible salty, briny 
kind of just like an umami bomb flavor going on that suddenly your plain old olive oil now has that flavor in it. And now that olive oil can become an incredible sauce for just simple spaghetti, or you can use that oil to saute vegetables or sear fish. So it just, if you're looking to enhance your, the flavor of your food, I mean, you can't, and you cannot go wrong with anchovies. <laughs> it reminds me of fish sauce a little bit. And I know that also can be a controversial ingredient. But anybody who's used fish sauce, just this idea that the way that it smells and even tastes if you just put it on your finger and eat it right out of the bottle is really different than how it's going to enhance the food you add it to as long as you don't add too much. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So you have to think of it as a background flavor. Yep. It's not going to be the starring role. I mean, it can be if you love anchovies as I do, but <laughs> let it take a back seat. And yes, it is. I mean, fish sauce is made from anchovies. They're one and the same. So that is exactly what it's bringing. And, and if you're, if you're still kind of freaked out about the fillets, I get that too. I mean, you can buy anchovy paste um, and that lasts in the fridge forever. And it comes in like a toothpaste type tube and you can just squeeze a little bit into whatever you're cooking. I love so that. I do think it's well worth having. If you're still opposed or if you're vegetarian or vegan or anything like that, or there's some sort of allergy, then I would say capers would be your next best bet because you're getting the same kind of like briny, salty flavor from capers and they're so Mediterranean but they, I don't think they intimidate or freak people out as much. <laughs> you know, it's funny. My 10 year old, the one who doesn't like Parmesan also doesn't love feta cheese. His older brother's always joking. You're not allowed to not like feta cheese because you're Greek. And his <laughs> rebuttal, I mean, this is conversations children of food professionals have. His rebuttal to his older brother is, I don't like feta, but I love capers and you don't. Like that's his like, <laughs> I got you. You don't got me. It's very funny. Oh, I love that. <laughs> he eats them straight out of the bottle. <laughs> that's amazing. He, he wants them on the strangest things. Like he once was like, can you add capers to my sandwich? I was like, what? Like a regular like sliced bread sandwich. It wasn't like a beautiful something built on baguette. I was like, ah, well, I don't know, actually. He has taste. <laughs> I, it's totally fine that he doesn't like Parmesan. <laughs> it's really not, Sheila, but thank you. That's very generous. <laughs> He'll come around if he's eating. If he's eating capers straight out of the jar. <laughs> it's true. It's true. There's a... Okay. I feel really glad we, we talked about anchovies because I think a big question that people will have when they buy Mediterranean every day, which they totally should, is about fish because there's quite a few fish recipes in the book. And I think for parents, that's a place where we feel like, oh, we should feed our kids more fish because it's so nutritious, but maybe we didn't introduce it enough when they were younger. So like, what is your favorite entry level fish or a fish recipe from the book that you think um, would get picky eaters excited to try? I think the most accessible fish for most families are the ones that are also most accessible at the grocery store. So I'm thinking, you know, the salmon, the cod, the shrimp, those three to me feel the most approachable. Um, though I know salmon... I feel like salmon, you either love it or you hate it. And um, it does definitely have a fishy taste to it. So 
I would say maybe I would say cod be is like the most entry level. I have a recipe in the book for cod, but I'm going to say it's not that family friendly just because, but maybe it is. It's wrapped in prosciutto. So I mean, that's kind like of a win. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's like ba- bacon-ish and it makes it really salty and adds like this really nice kind of crunchy coating. Um, so that's really fun, but even like way simpler than that. I mean, you can just sprinkle it with a little bit of garlic and olive oil and it's very plain tasting, but it's also really tasty. Um, And I also feel like cod is something that where you can sort of keep it plain and simple for picky eaters, but then you can also jazz it up for people who do want a little bit more flavor. Say maybe some capers on top would be really nice. Um, I think that the cod looks delicious. And I do think, I mean, it's a roasted cod salt and boca. And I know that the traditional approach would be to use prosciutto. But if you have a hard time finding that, if it's expensive, if you think your kids won't like it, it would taste delicious with bacon. I'm sorry. Am I allowed allowed to rip on your recipe right here in front of you? As I was saying that, I was thinking like, like, that sounds good. That sounds really good. Um, (laughs) My family's been doing a lot of swordfish this summer. I was going to say swordfish. Yeah. Yeah. Swordfish. um, I mean, I kind of, I tend to forget about swordfish every year until summer comes around. Yes, totally. Because it's such like a, summer fish. It's a grillable fish. I mean, it's incredible on the grill and it's so meaty um, and mild flavored that it's, it's, it is such a definitely like a gateway fish. Um, And yeah, I think that's a great, that's a definitely a great one. And I have, I have two recipes in the book for swordfish because I do really love it. Um, And one in particular, I'm really excited about because it's a pasta recipe. I I'm talking about pasta again, but a pasta recipe that has swordfish in it, which I feel like people don't think to put fish in their pasta that often, maybe like shrimp, but not actual fish fish. Um, And it's a really, 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 really fun way to kind of bring in swordfish in a different way besides just tossing it on the grill. So it's like chunks of swordfish that you just kind of sauteed and made a really simple cherry tomato sauce with. Um, and then you add pasta to it. I've also made that recipe. That recipe is also an amazing kind of like leftover sort of recipe. If you grilled swordfish the night before and you have leftovers and you know how fish is like kind of not great. Yeah, totally. It's an amazing way to turn it into a whole nother meal. I'm so glad you mentioned that recipe because I have it earmarked because I made a pasta pesto with grilled swordfish this summer that the kids loved. And I was like, oh, right. This totally works. <laughs> like it was just like an aha moment. Like I'd had it before many years ago and it obviously made enough sense for me to do it, but it felt like a revelation to the kids. It has a nice meaty texture. If you've ever tossed, you know, chicken with your pasta, it it's going to feel more like that than it would a pasta with like tuna fish or something super flaky. And that also makes it a really good deconstructable meal. So, you know, my 10-year-old doesn't love fish, but he had some and he could pick the rest out and then it's pesto pasta. My older kid doesn't love pesto, so he ate more fish. It's just very adaptable. 
Absolutely. And it's also a way to stretch it because swordfish can be yes. expensive, you yes. know? Yes. And totally. so, I mean, you're, you're going to need a whole lot less to feed your family when you're adding it to a pasta versus it being sort of like just a piece of fish on a plate. So yes, absolutely. Another fish, to, it's more like 2.0 fish. So if your kids do kind of like some fish and are experimental. I do think mussels are really fun. I know that they might not be for everybody, but I I love the interactiveness of mussels. So kind of putting a big pot of mussels on the table and letting everybody kind of grab at them and having uh, like a loaf of bread with it for the sauce that's at the bottom of the pot. Or you could even make like oven fries. That's so classic and also really delicious. Um, I do think that is a great option as well. Um, if your kids are, you know, experimental and into that sort of, if they're already willing to try other fish and they would be up for that, I do think that is another fun choice. I love that. I love mussels as like a date night meal. And I feel like people don't cook them enough. And they're relatively like when you're talking about seafood, they're inexpensive to buy like a big bag of mussels and they cook so fast. Um, when we have that, for dinner though my kids are more likely to eat the bread and the broth than the actual <laughs> mussels but hey that's like an entry point right it absolutely is an entry point and you're you're absolutely right in, in about the affordability of it i was shocked the first time i made mussels because if you go to a restaurant and you order them i mean a pot a personal pot like 20 or 30 dollars and i was shocked that you could get enough to feed two adults for six dollars yeah okay <laughs> sheila the next question might be kind of hard and it's a two-parter it's the last question you have to tell us your three favorite recipes from the book that's the first part okay <laughs> again so i know hard. you can only pick three it's like we're, we're like when we are forced to pick a favorite child we do favorite it child. <laughs> we don't want to you just do it <laughs> You're allowed to change your mind later. Like if someone... Yeah, it can be yeah, just today. Stop, if they stop you on the street and they confront you, you're like, no, that was just how I felt that day. It's all good. Yes. That's fair. That's fair. So, ooh, okay. So I would probably say the spaghetti and meatball ragu because it was the very first recipe I developed. And it's definitely my husband's favorite. So it's the one that we've made the most <laughs> through this whole process. Um, and I love it because it's just really fun. So, and it has kind of a fun story. It basically came about that around like my husband loves spaghetti and meatballs. He's super Italian American, New Jersey born and raised, and he always wants it for, he would eat it every week if we could have it. And I just don't like spaghetti and meatballs. I know that's really terrible to say, what? but it, fr- it, it frustrates. I love meatballs and I love spaghetti. I don't love them together. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it frustrates me because it just, I think it's the, how they, how to, it's just not very eatable to me. Like the meatballs are plopped on your spaghetti and then you have to cut them and kind of like move them to the side <laughs> to like be able to get one and twist your pasta. And I don't know, so the mechanics just don't work for me. And I know this is very, I know most people disagree, but I just don't like it. And so I was trying to find a way for us to meet halfway. And I thought about, well, what if I turn the meatballs into like a ragu of some sort? So this recipe is really fun and that you make 
you make a batch of meatballs and you kind of break up the meatballs into these bite-sized big chunks and um, you make a meat sauce or ragu and you toss it with your spaghetti. So I love that recipe just because it's fun. And now my husband and I can happily eat spaghetti and meatballs together. (laughs) Um, My second recipe would maybe be, um, I have a recipe for thyme thyme pesto roast chicken with crispy potatoes. Um, And I just love it because the moment I realized that you could slip pesto under chicken skin, it was a complete revelation to me. And this one in particular, I call for making a pesto with uh, parsley and thyme, which is really fun because it sort of lifts you from thinking pesto only has to be made from basil. So it's a really fun thing to think about like what herbs I have in my crisper drawer that are starting to look very wilty and brown or what do I have if I have a garden that I need to use up. So I like that part of it, but then I also just love the idea of slipping pesto, like rubbing your chicken with pesto is just not only instant flavor, but you're there's all this oil in the pesto as well. So you're going to get this really, really crispy skin. Um, so I love that. And then I have you toss a bunch of just potatoes on the bottom of your roasting pan below the chicken. And those just like soak up all the chicken juices and the pesto juices and they become super crispy and flavorful. So I love that recipe. And I also love that if you really didn't want to even make the pesto, you could just buy store-bought. That Um, recipe is one that I got to test when I was helping test recipes for your book. And it is so good. Also, the pesto recipe that's included in Mediterranean every day is really great because it's like any herb any nuts and it walks you through like how to make pesto basically from anything absolutely yes i i kind of want people to realize that pesto really is more of a formula than a hard fast recipe and you can really experiment and use and it's not even just the herbs you can use different kinds of cheese for those who don't like parmesan (laughs) (laughs) and you can use different kinds of nuts or if you have a nut allergy you could use pumpkin seeds or you know another kind of seed so it is super versatile um which i love um and then my my last favorite recipe oh gosh i'm gonna say my yogurt panna cotta i'm gonna go to dessert because i haven't given dessert any love The yogurt panna cotta is something I have made probably for the past like 15 years now. Um, It was kind of what I became famous for when I was living in Italy and I'd have my friends over for dinner. It was just like the easiest dessert I could make with the scrappy kitchen that I had. And I ended up using, I would put Greek yogurt in it in place of all of the heavy cream just to make it a little bit lighter and because I always had a tub of Greek yogurt in my refrigerator and it's just super creamy and light and has endless opportunities for toppings so I also think that's really fun you can top it with fresh fruit if you have it if you don't I mean you could even top it with jam or a drizzle of Caramel sauce could be really fun or shaved chocolate. Um, and it's also completely no bake. So it's like, and it to me, it's 
any time dessert. If I get a craving for dessert, it's usually what I end up making. So, so yeah, that was my last one. It's beautiful enough that you could serve it for a dinner party, but it's also like simple enough that you could meal prep some and have it for weeknight desserts too. You absolutely can because it, it does need to set up in the refrigerator and it does last in the refrigerator for, I mean, up to a week really. So if you did want to, you could make a batch on Sunday and have it for desserts. Okay. This next part, Sheila, I feel so bad to do this to you now. And I thought when you started with the ragu that I would know exactly what your answers would be. But we like to play this game sometimes called Kiss, Mary, Kill, which is now you have to take those three favorite recipes and you have to say which one you would marry. Like what's your old, what's the old standby? Which one you would kiss? So something you'd like have a little flirtatious fling with. And then the kill recipe is like of those three, which is the one you would like not make or cut from the list first. Okay, wait. Before you do that, Sheila, the best part of this game is the way that Megan describes marriage. (laughs) (laughs) Your old standby. The old old standby. (laughs) It's very revealing. Very revealing. What can I say? My husband is very reliable. Reliability is a very good quality. Yeah, it is extremely. I just had to say that. All right, kiss, Mary, kill. Oh, geez. This is so hard. Okay. Kiss. I would, I'd probably say the spaghetti and meatball ragu just because it's been really, it was like a fun thing to develop and we've been making it a lot. And, but like, I probably don't need to live with it for the rest of my life. Like, I'm not. I don't expect a ring from it. (laughs) (laughs) And then Mary, I'm going to say the panna cotta because we've already had quite a long relationship. (laughs) Yeah, it's your old standby. It is my old standby. It's old reliable. And then I guess I'm going to have to kill the roast chicken, which is really sad. Um, yeah. Because then I guess I'll, I'm just eating dessert for the rest of my day. <laughs> which is less sad if you put that spin on true, it. So, true, true. <laughs> also, I feel like that's like a perfect way to to like end on is that like your your book, Mediterranean Every Day, is so beautiful and it's lots of like everyday recipes, but it's never going to make you feel bad about having a rich, luscious dessert every single day either. Absolutely. I have too much of a sweet tooth to make anybody feel bad about that. (laughs) Here, here. Sheila, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us and sharing your gorgeous book with us. Where can everybody find it? So it is available on Amazon and you'll be able to find it anywhere where your local books are sold. So absolutely. Yay. Mediterranean every day. (laughs) Thank you both. Stacey, I loved chatting with Sheila. I don't get to talk to her that much one-on-one in our work days every day, but I'm also just like incredibly proud of her book. It's her first cookbook and I feel like it just knocks it out of the park. We both, you and I, have like now long lists of recipes that we will be cooking from it. Absolutely. I got to test a couple of recipes for her last fall, and I can tell you that they're very easy. They don't require a ton of special equipment or special ingredients. It's all stuff that's easy to find. Um, And we're gonna be sharing a couple of the recipes in this week's show notes and in the newsletter. So please, please, please go grab a copy of Mediterranean every day, but also make sure that you're subscribed to our newsletter so that you can get those bonus recipes. 
Right, Bellis? <laughs> I guess I should mention you can subscribe to our newsletter on Instagram or Facebook. There's a little link or directly on didn'tijustfeedyou.com. Also, be sure to find us on Instagram and Facebook where we are. Guess what? At didn't I just feed you? <laughs> um, when you're on Facebook, that's where you're going to find that listeners group that we're always talking about because it's the coolest place on earth to be. Obviously, when you go to join, just click groups. You'll be prompted with a question. The answer is whiskey. Don't add us. Just write it and then join us inside. I feel surprised because some people still say, oh, I'm a new listener. I don't know what the answer is. Because I feel like we do say it in every episode. They are caught. They're not listening to the end. They're not. Oh, <laughs> shh. You guys. Don't uh, you hang on our every single word. My you really Lord. Ought to. If not, at the very least, could you please subscribe, rate, and review Didn't I Just Feed You? It means the world to us. You know what also means the world to us and we would love to hear more of? Your voice. We want to hear voicemails from you. We use a app called SpeakPipe, and you can leave us a voicemail anytime from your computer. Speaking of sound, our music is Good Old Time by Alex Cohen, provided by Jim Endo. A huge thank you to our editor, Samantha Gatsik. I'm Stacy. And I'm Megan. Stay sane and well fed until next week. Oliver. Yeah. Do you like junk food? Mm hmm. <laughs> What's your favorite junk food? A hundred grand. Oh, 100 grand bars. High five for that. I like those too. That's a bad high five. That was a bad high five. You're right. 